Hello, and welcome back to A Better World. This is your host, Mitchell J. Rabin, and I'm very glad you're joining us again today. Today, we're going to be carrying on a conversation that has been ongoing with evolutionary economist Hazel Henderson, who has been a guest numerous times on A Better World Radio and A Better World TV, because she is a leading authority on the subject of renewable economy, greening the economy, the love economy, bringing life, vitality, and humanity to the operations of business, meaning ethical business, corporate responsibility, and uh, an economy based on ideas of sustainability instead of the destruction-based economy we now have with extraction as its base. So it's always a pleasure and an honor to have Hazel on our A Better World Airwaves to go further into this incredibly important subject because, in short, it has to do with our very real future, if not destiny, and what we as human beings at this point in time related to the issues of global warming, global heating, or as Robin Williams often would call it, global grilling, have to do with our collective future. So on that note, Hazel, welcome back to A Better World. So great to have you. Thank you, Mitchell. You know, I always enjoy this. Yes, I'm so glad. Well, I do too. <laughs> I would love if you would to give us your, you're in such an interesting place, of course, Hazel, because of your rich background. I mean, consulting to heads of state in different parts of the world and advising them on how to build a renewable economy, a green economy, how to step out of business as usual, which has just wreaked havoc on our entire planet and ecosystem, and teach them, educate them about the the real world, realistic and practical ways of developing an economy that really works for all, which is, of course, such a common theme these days as we're heading into a new election cycle, etc., what if you could explain where you see where we are now relative to the desired outcome? What steps have been taken? What next steps do we need to take to bring about a desirable, truly renewable energy-based economy? Well, there's been a lot of forward movement in the past year, and mostly, I think, driven by uh, the bad news from the IPCC that um, the global warming or heating of the planet is continuing and the expansion um, of the oceans and all of the uh, all of the symptoms that we're now experiencing in so many countries, you know, whether it's the fires in Australia and California or the floods uh, and all of this news that we know is related to climate change. So this has been driving um, the shift uh, to uh, take uh, all of these stranded investments that are still in the fossil what I call the fossilized sectors, not not just fossil <laughs> fuels, but all yeah. of the industries based on fossil fuels. It's a good way you know, to describe like, it in many ways. Yeah. Yes, like uh, the old style um, petroleum automobiles and all of those things. So yeah. the, uh, the whole um, Green New Deal 
uh, idea, which did not, you know, didn't really start in the U.S. Congress. It started in the European Union about a decade ago, and it's now very much gone global. Uh, the Europeans are actually uh, at the p Parliament level uh, committing billions of dollars into the kind of investments that we need to create the new infrastructure for a, a green economy. And, um, and there is a wonderful report that we put out um, on our latest headlines about uh, three weeks ago. From this Stanford is on ethicalmarkets.com, everybody. Yes, our latest headlines. Yeah. And this is a, an energy group at Stanford University, and they now say, um, without any equivocation, that it's perfectly possible to shift 130 countries to 100% uh, renewable resources well before 2050, in some cases mm -hmm. uh, by... Um, as early as 2030. And the way things, once things kind of move, uh, they begin to accelerate. And as, as you all, we all know very well, you know, markets are really governed by three things, fear, greed, and what I call um, behave. Well, you know, it's basically herd behavior. Yes. And we now, with the green sectors, um, we're reaching the herd behavior stage where uh, it's sort of like monkey see, monkey do. <laughs> That's know? right. And, and uh, it's like a snowball uh, gaining uh, momentum yes, rolling down yes. a hill. That's yeah. exactly what's happening, you know. And so now the more of these uh, funds are successful, and they mostly, uh, we've now dispelled the idea that you have to f sacrifice any kind of uh, financial return by moving into solar and wind and energy efficiency and better batteries mm -hmm. and, you know, all of the new uh, technologies um, that clearly uh, quite often now they outperform uh, the the older uh, the older kind Standard of uh, fossilized yeah. sectors. So uh, mm -hmm. that now um, is snowballing, uh, as uh, as you say. So that's mm -hmm. all. That's all the good news. And I've just done a review on our page. We have a page called Books and Reviews, um, which is a very good little handbook. Um, if anyone wants to really get into the Green New Deal and um, the way it's very holistic, you know, it includes um, better health care for everybody. It includes better um, jobs and more uh, dependable wages and pensions and all of those things are all part mm -hmm. of it, really, and, and how we are able to shift all of those employees who ended up stranded in the old 19th century uh, fossilized sectors. Uh, it's not their fault. Um, we have to uh, make it possible for them to get into these new sectors. And a lot of them are not going to involve lots of retraining or anything like that. Because as you know, Mitchell, a lot of the shift to the Green New Deal and the green economy is retrofitting old businesses, old buildings, yes. where mm -hmm. we need roofers and plumbers and electricians and all kinds right. of, of skills Jobs. that we already have in the yeah. economy. Yeah. So it requires this the trade. Book, 
Yeah. Yeah, this little book is called A Planet to Win, Why We Need a Green New Deal. And the forward is by Naomi Klein, and it just came out, and, and it's well worth reading. It, it, it's just a very easy roadmap so that you understand all of the pieces and how they fit together. So well, that's, that's one wonderful. thing I would really and yeah, recommend. If you recall, which I know you do, um, some months back, Hazel, I had you on with Robert Hockett, who is one of yeah. – uh, AOC's chief advisors on the Green New Deal. And in that yes. interview, that roundtable, the three of us were discussing rather robustly how to actually make it practical and real. And this handbook sounds like, pardon the expression, it goes hand in hand with that discussion yes, yes. because it's, really it's good, leading yeah. us from ideology, if you will, to a practical hands-on kind of uh, yes, yes. next and step. And it cuts through all, all of the ideological, you know, backstabbing that's going on, uh, you know, to do with all these 19th century labels that we fought the Cold War over, you know, whether yes, you're a exactly. communist or a socialist or a capitalist or whatever. <laughs> that's you right. know, that's I right. mean, that's all history. It's like, you know, when I, I was advising the Green Party uh, in Germany back in the 1980s when they started, and their slogan I just loved, and, and I know on, on that too, broadcast yeah. we did together with Robert Hockett, I made the point uh -huh. that their slogan was, we are neither left nor right. We are ahead. <laughs> and that's really... That's I love really, it. Um, yeah, I mean, that's really... We, move, we don't move here. left, we don't move right, we move forward. <laughs> we move forward, for heaven's sakes, you know. And uh, oh, the more I see that... Now, um, Andrew Yang has picked that up, you know. And yes. um, a, a lot of the... I mean, all of the candidates on the, on the Democratic side are wonderful people. And um, yes. I'm just they hoping They really do that understand they, the depth and the breadth of the crisis we are truly facing. And in fact, in light of that, because it is so searingly deep and problematic in so many ways, to the point that we have an entire literature and niche, if you will, called Collapse Economy and Collapse Planet, um, and all of that, which I'm sure you're aware of, where it is mm -hmm. apprising people of how to be resilient, both physically, practically, and emotionally, psychologically, for what we're doing when you look at the melting ice, and you look at what's yes. happening in Antarctica, you know, and you see the methane being released in Siberia, and on and on and on it goes. Um, how do you square the issues of that level of kind of ecosystemic demise with the speed at which we are moving as an economy toward renewables? And it's not just renewables, but actually reversing the issues around global warming. Yes, well, it's all because human beings now are being taught directly by the planet. You know, like the planet is yes. a programmed learning environment, and we're coming up to graduation time. And we're all yes. learning about well feedback, put. you know, and that yeah. all of the systems, all of the crazy things that we did um, because of our limited consciousness way back when, um, mm -hmm. and now we're all coming back to bite us. I mean, now all of the things that are going wrong and that we're having 
having to deal with um, are of our own making. You know, it, it isn't God's yes. fault, and it, it's nobody's fault. Right. It's our, we have been doing it right. to ourselves. And I it. think that um, one of the things that's really interesting is this kind of movement that came out of um, that university in Scotland, a, a, this young professor who, who has a website called Deep Adaptation. And mm-hmm. he has been, he was teaching um, in the business school, and he suddenly sort of threw up his hands and said, oh, my gosh, you know, and when I look at what we've done and what's happening, I'm just in total despair. And he yes. began to kind of um, elicit a tremendous following of people who said, well, yeah, I mean, actually, I'm just kind of depressed and unhappy. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I read a piece in um, New Scientist a couple of issues ago where they were saying that a lot of psychologists and people hanging out their shingle now as therapists trying to help people not to feel the depression and the pain and of the I realization of and uh, they were saying come on yeah. you know um, we do have to face up to it and ad- admit that the depression is okay it's real I mean it's yes. an absolutely normal response and we it's don't an want psychologists to kind of to give people pills to, to sort of you know forget about it the whole point is that we have to face up to it and, um, you know, one of the things about facing up to it, which uh, um, is a perfect example, is my friend Jane Fonda. And for many years, you know, uh, she read my books way back in the 1980s, and she and Ted mm-hmm. Turner used to kind of promote my stuff and all that. And yeah. the fact that uh, she is willing to get way out of her comfort zone and actually yeah. go and picket um, in Washington and get herself arrested every mm-hmm. Friday night, you know, and all that, I mean, is such an inspiration, Remarkable. you know? Yeah. And um, yeah. and so I, I think that uh, that that's the proper the proper reaction um, is to, is to accept um, the reality the realities that we've created, and then figure out in whatever way you can where you are in your own community how can you um, act in responsible ways. Um, you, know, you know, put your energy into some. Uh, positive, Some responsible kind of, kind of activity. As you yeah. know, Hazel, uh, one of the hats I wear professionally is as a holistically oriented psychotherapist and counselor yes. coach and stress management consultant. And let me tell you, with the clients that I see, this is a very real phenomenon. And because I am who I am, I am particularly tuned in to what's going on environmentally and planetarily. And uh, I see that this overall overarching systemic stress, if you will, in the quantum field, if you don't mind my putting it that way, is actually having a true stressful uh, exertion on people's minds and bodies. And it's not just EMFs. It's not just 5G. These are deleterious in their own right. There's another level of consciousness that is depressed and anxious at the same time. 
And I think the Sunrise Movement is actually an expression of a, a remedy, a balancing act yes. to this stress that we feel that most people don't even know the origin of. But people like you and I and many of our associates and colleagues really do. Uh, people like Carolyn Baker, who I've had on the show, who's a psychologist, introduced uh, you know, to me by Andrew Harvey. And they're very much on that level. Of uh, Guy McPherson wrote a book with her, the famous environmental scientist, about preparing the mind and the heart and soul for the situation that we are in, which, by the way, freezing is not the answer, but being in action, as you were just suggesting, is. Right. So, and expanding our own here. awareness of the planetary realities. That's correct. See, that, that's the positive thing, um, is that uh, we are being Stay positive now to yeah. expand our consciousness, to really mm -hmm. understand how the planet functions, how uh, if it weren't for that shower of photons from our mother star every day, yes. the sun, the planet right. would be 400 degrees below zero, and there would be no life on Earth, and yeah. that all of our food comes from the first technology created by plants, which, of course, is photosynthesis. photosynthesis. And so, you know, uh, people are learning um, very, very rapidly because you know they because we must and so uh, that that's really i think a very positive thing uh but i i know i think this whole general stress level i mean particularly in this country when we've gone through this reality tv 3 years roller coaster <laughs> and uh every you know now we're going that's into its own a stage where yeah. we're yeah. going to have to to watch even more carefully because you see now the guardrails are all off and um, and you know like what he what he's trying to do now um to uh, to get um the justice department to change its uh, rules to exonerate the the, the people that the Mueller um you yeah. know uh, uh, it, uh, brought uh, the, the, uh, the, the rules against, you know, people like Roger mm -hmm. Stone. I mean, uh, it, exactly. it, this is absolutely unheard of interference okay. in the okay. operation of the Justice Department. Okay. And so I think all of those things now, uh, we're going to have they to... They compound and compound. They compound the problem. In creating and we're going an to have to, exponential... Yeah, yeah, we're going to have to really pay very close attention to any more uh, examples of how uh, this uh, tyrannical personality um, the, the thinks now he can just get away with murder. I mean, he always told <laughs> yeah. us that from the beginning. Well, you know, he that told he us from the beginning, and everyone should have, everybody should have run, especially for the Republicans, far away from that man because he let us know how dangerous and manipulative he is, you know. I would like oh, yeah. to um, turn our conversation, if you will, to a gentleman you introduced me to, and I thank you for it, uh, who's also a member of the Global Advisory Board of Dennis Bushnell, NASA scientist, senior yes. scientist, who you and he have been just brainstorming and promoting a, a solution that is very profound and has 
long-term potential positive consequences for our planet, and that, of course, is halophytes and their development and their promulgation. And, of course, I had him through you on A Better World Radio where we had a a fabulous dialogue about the subject. I would love for you to expand on that. Um, And maybe if our uh, current um, commander were to uh, eat some of those halophytes, it might change his mind a little bit. But anyway, that aside. (laughs) We have a very interesting update on the whole halophyte thing. Um, And Uh that is that um, I, along with Dennis Bushnell, will be attending a scientific seminar uh, in a few weeks now at the Arizona State University on yes. the next halophyte food plant, which we think is ready for global marketing. And that is salicornia. So exciting. And salicornia, mm-hmm. we have lots of photographs of salicornia growing all over the world in our green transition scoreboard, you know, that people yes. can download for free off the mm-hmm. off our site. Um, and this plant... It's very, this plant is very interesting because it's very nutritious, and guess what? It grows everywhere wild um, on Earth, uh, mostly really? in uh, yes, most, mostly in North wetlands or around mm-hmm. um, you know sea coasts or um, any kind of um, a boggy wetland area. You can look for this plant, and it's uh, in some places it's called sea beans. And in other places, it's called sea asparagus. And what we have, uh, what we're going to be discussing, these are agronomists from around the world who have been uh, working to hybridize these halophytes, uh, this particular plant, the salicornia. And uh, we're, we feel that it's now at the point where all that's needed really um, is to market it, make people aware of it. Uh, at the mm-hmm. same time, of course, we don't want to uh, have any private companies corner the markets. We want yes. people to be able to go out and uh, pick salicornia for their own salads and uh, for their own greens. You know, we don't want to yes. have uh, a- any kind of you know cornering of the market of this plant. But yes. the fact it grows everywhere and uh, anyone can find it and use it is really good. That is and wonderful. So, what uh, what we'll be talking about, what I will be presenting, is um, what I think are the next steps in terms of packaging and marketing this plant. And what we have found in our research is that there are gourmet chefs uh, in various countries around the world who create dishes with salicornia. And so we have a new page up on our website called Halophytes, and you can go on that page, uh, Mitchell, and you can see some of the dishes. And uh, so we're at the stage now of, um, hey, let's find um, some gourmet chefs and let's have an advertising campaign, you might say. Yes. Um, Have you cooked with them, Hazel? I have not yet, but I'm sure that, uh, you know, because we have... By the time um, you come back from that conference, you will be cooking with them. Oh, yes, I'm sure. And I'm sure I will be looking in the wetlands around our coast here. I will be yes. looking for stands of of, um, of salicornia. And, of course, you have to know how to recognize it. And yes. when it's cooked, it's 
beautiful, very bright green, and it, you can also put it raw in but salads. Tell us so, about um, the environmental, uh, the reason that Dennis and you, and now me, feel that this is very much a solution, I mean a comprehensive solution to the issues of carbon reduction and global warming. I mean, this is not just a culinary delight, which it also is. It's actually yes. an entirely large, uh, large oh, volume yes. to I mean, this is a win, win, reversing win the issues solution. at hand. Which yes, well, you know, you in would that report to we that. did, the report we did two years ago, which was called Capturing CO2 While Improving Human Nutrition and Health, yes. Um, was really showcasing um, what a tremendous uh, shift it, it could uh, create because basically um, the the problem we have right now, as you know, Mitchell, is that our entire global food supply is perilously teetering on the world's 3% of fresh water, which is dwindling because of, you know, pollution and uh, all the rest of it. And at the same time, the planet's other half of the plant kingdom is salt-loving plants that, guess what, like to grow um, uh, irrigated with salt water. And so there's 97% of the planet's water is salty, and why not just use the plants that love the salt and grow that they can be grown. In fact, they are grown in 22 countries uh, for, mm-hmm. for centuries but in, the, in the, the most degraded um, kind of desert scrubland and grow on anything. They grow without pesticides, without fertilizers. A lot of them just grow wild. And yeah. the, the other uh, ama- amazing advantage is that they have these very long roots and they they capture CO2 that's already been released into the atmosphere and pull it down uh, into their long roots and sequester it much better than any of these MIT professors that are trying to sell us on these mechanical schemes, you know, for, quote, geoengineering. And yeah. so, uh, you know, the, the uh, if we could shift the food supply to uh, expand it with these uh, salt-loving plants like quinoa. Now, quinoa, of course, has made it into all the supermarkets, and salicornia, obviously, is going to be the next one. And then there's China's salt-loving rice, you know, which is delicious and uh, 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 sold all over China. And so not only but that – one but of those it, descriptions that you just gave, Hazel, excuse me, is uh, so similar about the long, deep roots as what we have in the, the lawn seed that I introduced you to where we can get four-foot roots and it sequesters carbon eight to ten times normal lawn seed. Yes, you know, yes, it's the absolutely. same principle of reaching and down the, deep into the earth. And exactly. You know? And so yeah. we know that nature knows how to sequester carbon. 
And it's always sequestered in soil and in plant roots and in forests. And this is really why there is suddenly, thank heavens, a lot more sensible interest in reforestation and in growing uh, more crops. And regenerative agriculture as well. Yes, and all of that. And the only thing that's missing, uh, and Dennis and I have, you know, been tearing our hair out for, for years over this, um, is that with all of the shift that's now going on to plant-based foods and beverages and they're all over the supermarkets and this is growing, this new um, plant-based food industry is growing in double-digit rates all over the world now. Yeah. All of these companies going public, you know, like Beyond Meat and Impossible Foods yeah. and so on and so forth. But they still haven't gotten to halophytes. And the thing that about halophytes, which is another double whammy, is that basically any time you can increase the human food supply with these kind of salt-loving foods, you save the f- precious fresh water, which most of it gets used for agriculture. And we yeah. just have to stop using our precious fresh water only for agriculture. And, of course, a lot of it is for growing um, uh, food and feed for cattle. And that's all part of the thing about how we have to go beyond this uh, meat eating, you know, and um, that everybody knows now is not good for your health. And uh, so, you know, this is a, a very large systemic change. But as soon as people get the idea... Uh, they realize, oh my gosh, you know, this is kind of one of those systemic answers. And as Dennis and I have been saying, we can accomplish this within the decade. This is not long-term stuff. All that's needed is investment and marketing. And, you know, we can change, we can just change the food supply, make it healthier and um, and save fresh water for other uses, uses than, exactly. than growing soybeans, sort of like you know, which is what it's used for now. Things like yeah. that, and showering, basics like that for humans. Yeah, exactly. So no, drink, it drinking. is truly a comprehensive. And I know that he has done, and I imagine you're aware of the volume of sequestration that halophytes could bring about if it were more if it were cultivated worldwide are we talking about really matching the ratio we need of sequestration that would stabilize temperature rise Yes. I mean, you know, it's just so huge. And uh, the only thing we can think of, really, um, is that the uh, institutional blindness to this is because of all of the investments that are in the agrochemical industrial food industry. Um, And, of course, why would they want to help introduce foods that are free? You know, I mean, that's part of the problem. It's just like with the fossil fuel industry. They don't like free photons from the sun either, you know. Exactly. Or anything that's going to disrupt their business model. That's the thing. They've invested in systems for decades. They don't want to disrupt it and aggravate it, you know. And And, uh, yet that's what's required. 
Yeah, it's not only disrupting the agrochemical industrial food that's not good for us anyway, but it's all of the grants from all of the institutes and the agronomy schools and um, the FAO and all of these institutes. Um, And we have decided that the problem is what has been termed Uh, theory-induced blindness, kind of a cognitive disability that, you know, if you're an expert... Just an ad disability, right? Yes, I mean, if you're an expert and you're living and all your grants come from the agro-industrial food sector, you're not going to be able to see clearly that the future is in a different kind of food system. Well, that goes across the board to the, absolutely, it goes across the board of all of the complexes that we're dealing with, military, industrial, uh, agrochemical, energy, fossil fuel. It's just wherever you look, it's the same headset that once entrenched doesn't want to pull itself out of the sand, if you don't mind my saying, and look around and see the true cost of doing business as usual. And that's one of the great, great gifts, Hazel, if I may say, that you bring to our world and to the world of thinkers to step out of our heads in the sand and look around more objectively and say, what can I do to create a better world? We can make money at it, no problem, but let's do it in a constructive, sustainable, renewable way, photonic way, um, instead of what we've been doing, which is leading literally to hell and the well, utter you know, plummeting yes. and, and of the, good the sense on our too, planet. Uh, has been that the uh, financial uh, industry, which yes. you know, kind of grew with uh, all of our communications means. You know, it grew to be what yes. I call a global casino, where all of these financial people are there trying to make money out of money. You know, very much like Correct. what happened with all the pyramiding of assets that happened in the global, you know, in the Great Depression. And so we have that kind of situation today where all of the assumptions um, in the old economic textbook about what was valuable and all of that are now deeply encoded into algorithms. And most of our uh, markets now operate are operated by computers. I mean, most of the yes. trading now is not done by humans at all. It's done all mm-hmm. done by computers. And so yes. we have kind of locked in the rearview mirror approach. And, mm-hmm. and so it, that's one of the reasons it makes it so hard to get the financial community to change. You know, I, I know the young friends of mine at Nexus Global, you know, who are the young people who are all going to in, in, uh, inherit money from their parents. You know, mm-hmm. they've gotten together in this sort of worldwide network called Nexus Global. It has an office in Washington. And basically, they would go to 
asset managers that were managing their parents' accounts, and, and they would say, well, we want you to shift away from fossil fuels and all of these 19th century industries into mm-hmm. solar and wind and renewables, you know, and EV yeah. charges yeah. and all of this kind of... And the asset managers would say to these young people, oh, oh no, you couldn't do that. It's much too risky. And, of course, the answer that these young people now know to tell them is, well, actually what you're doing is even more risky. And so if you're not willing to change your mind and shift the assets into the future from the past, then guess what? You're fired. And that's what has to happen. <laughs> yes, <laughs> absolutely. You know, I yeah. wanted to so just share with our audience. There's a lot of going on. Yeah. A lot of, I, that's wonderful. I, that's the only time I like that phrase, you're fired. You're fired. Um, <laughs> spoken by the millennials, by the way, not others. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. I want to just right. share with our audience before we, we part here, Hazel, although it's always such a pleasure talking with you and listening and learning, is uh, a... Uh, conference, an ESG conference, Environmental Social Governance Conference that I went to on your behalf in New York City at Times Square a couple of years ago where Jeff Gitterman was the keynote speaker and he and I happened Uh to have met over a cup of coffee and breakfast at the event and um, started chatting and um, he made a point to the group that okay so this was in july of 2017 remember what happened in january of 2017 so everyone was in we were talking about sort of a global depression a systemic depression based on issues around climate change well here was a systemic depression in this conference because of who was made the new president. I'm not going to even say elected. I'm going to stay out of that. I will just say who became the next president. And there was definitely uh, an air of depression over the room. And Jeff very smartly said, you know what? Even though we are all very shocked and surprised by what is going on here politically, I want to tell you all that there has been a flood of money into green financial institutions and and funding uh, companies that we've never seen the likes of before. So before you get too depressed, please know that the complacency that we were experiencing more of in the prior administration has now jettisoned us into action toward building a green and renewable economy. And I thought that was a brilliant, interesting observation that we all want to take note of. You're also going to represent us at this meeting that's coming up in New York, the Ethical Corporation Reuters is having. Correct. And what's so exciting about that um, is now Ethical Markets is partnering with Reuters. Yes. And uh, so this helps us. Yeah, it helps us get our message out uh, on a a wider audience, and uh, we're going to put up a press release where the Reuters people say how proud they are um, that they're partnering with ethical markets. 
How about yes, that? Indeed. <laughs> it's fantastic. So we're so in happy fact, that you that can meeting, represent us. I'm sorry? I say, I, so I'm happy you're going to represent us at this oh, well, next thank meeting. You. Thank you. Yeah. It's such mm-hmm. a pleasure and an honor, and I will, and I'll be very happy to. And just to circle back, the meeting where that ESG conference I was just referencing was at a Thomson Reuters uh, office in Times Square. Oh, how so about that? It's all yeah. coming full circle. It's all coming. Yes, full and then there's also the SkyTop group, yes. and I think you're going to be able to represent us at some of uh, uh, our SkyTop partners' meetings. Oh yes, and, I've done that many and, times. And you actually. know, I was talking uh, to the CEO Scrupa. of SkyTop, uh, Christopher yes. Grupa, and I was saying, um, have you been noticing how um, our whole green sector now is suddenly absolutely growing like crazy? Yes. And he said, my God, it's just totally amazing, you know? Yeah. And um, um, so many of them, you know, another um, We whispered the ours, same thing in his ears. You have the right oh, one, I have yeah. the left. <laughs> yes. And um, our true. Others, our other the partners, world is changing, Hazel, brands. for the good in so many ways. Yeah. I mean, this partnership we have with Sustainable Brands. I mean, that yes. company was only started about 10 years ago by Coans Gaziniars, our good friend. And, uh, I mean, now it's a global, you know, multi-million dollar corporation. It's unbelievable. She came and visited, and we had a wonderful weekend together, you know. Oh, Uh, nice. It's just so so amazing, you know, all of these uh, companies now, uh, you know, and and people, uh, groups like Reuters, um, are, are wanting to buy them up because why would they want to substitute their own research when uh, these little groups, you know, have done all the research? I mean, like the stuff yes, we exactly. do, nobody else does that, you know, That's the right. stuff on That's our right. fight. So, uh, exactly. so it's uh, it, it's really very. We're here at a better world as well. You know, yes, we are absolutely. so much on the same page. Well, now, you know, going so back the to the adaptation thing, there is yes. a new global group. We only have a couple um, of minutes left. so Oh, okay. Um, yeah, well, this is a point, global group with a lot of countries uh, established really in the Netherlands, but with Argentina, Canada, China, Costa Rica, all, all many, many countries. And yes. uh, they've just put out a report, which we put up on our site, called Adapt Now, a global call for leadership on climate resilience, and it's very well worth taking a look at. And it's taking the whole idea of facing up to all of this and beginning to make the changes, um, you know, more acceptable. Well, that is an excellent point to complete on because we've gone around and touched upon a first with a snapshot of where we are now, where we have gone, and where we're going now. As a group, it's robust. There's a tremendous amount of energy on the good side of understanding the value of a photon, which you were pioneering way back in the late 1950s and early 60s. <laughs> of course, you started when you were about two years old. Oh, right. <laughs> <Yes. you know. laughs> uh, but in fact, you know, you have been and need to be uh, acknowledged for being a pioneer in reshaping the thinking about the economy, and about just life on Earth and the way to live here 
with a soft, light touch on the planet, just with as the indigenous wisdom has always shown us and indicated. And it's we're true. interestingly yeah. we're moving forward, but we're also moving backward to include the intelligence of our ancestors. So exactly. Hazel Henderson. That's... Thank yes. you so much, Mitchell. Absolutely. Thank you, Hazel. Thank you. Always a pleasure. And we'll do it again. Bye now. Bye-bye now. You can reach Hazel Henderson and her vast volume of work at www.ethicalmarkets.com. It's brilliant. I've been affiliated with her for the past number of years. A Better World and Ethical Markets have been doing this wonderful alignment and dance together because our values are aligned and this is the way we are going to, in fact, create a better world. It's through ethics, it's about corporate responsibility, and it's about innovation, and we are doing it. So I want to thank all of you for tuning in today. Remember that we are a nonprofit organization. Your, your donations, your contributions, your investments in a better world are so helpful, and we so appreciate it. So please be in touch with me directly at mjr at abetterworld.net. That's mjr at abetterworld.net if you do want to make a donation or for our other uh, number of different offering services, uh, healthy products and the like are available through our website, abetterworld.tv. And you can sign up for our newsletter. Our website is actually uh, going through a wonderful refurbishment, a renovation, and it will be up soon, but it is there now still, of course, in its present form, abetterworld.tv. You can also visit mitchellrabin.com, M-I-T-C-H-E-L-L-R-A-B-I-N, for coaching services. And I look forward to seeing you all next week. 